Hi, friends. Before I jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to say a couple of things. First of all, for Principal Matters listeners who are interested in a mastermind, each week during the school year, I host a small group of like-minded leaders who are willing to group together around leadership content, book studies, shared interests, best practices, and hot issues that are happening within their own school leadership where collaboratively we coach one another. If this sounds intriguing to you or interesting to you, I'm beginning to prepare to launch the new semester. And just so you know, this is a very limited opportunity because I don't have a lot of mastermind options open. If you have an availability on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, then reach out to me because we have a few openings for our current mastermind that will begin in August and run through the end of December. And then we'll begin again in January and run through the end of May. And then if you're interested in a summer opportunity, we can talk about that then. But feel free to reach out to me if you're interested in a mastermind application at my website at williamdparker.com. You can find the mastermind link there, or you can email me at will at williamdparker.com. Also, if you're in the Louisville area, I have an opportunity to present at a school district in that area on August the 12th. I would love to connect with any school leaders in that area. So please let me know if you're a listener from that area. And I would love to just reach out and know that you're there and learn more about your school and in, in your work. Well, this week we're jumping back into part two of a conversation with Jen Schwanke on reconstructing your school practices. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 255. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm talking again with my co-host, Jen Schwanke, who's the assistant superintendent of Dublin Schools and the author of two great books on principal leadership. Jen Schwanke, welcome back to this conversation. Are you enjoying some summer? Because, uh, you know, I'm we're, we're Zooming in the middle of a day when both of us have some free time. So I'm assuming that means that you're on vacation, maybe? Yes, I am. I do have a week of vacation and we're going to spend part of it in Colorado. So in a few days times, I'll be on top of a mountain, happy as a clam. So yes, this is, this is summer and definitely time to reflect. And boy, last week we had a great conversation. You indulged me after a early morning text when I said, I want to talk about space and place. And, and we decided to come back and do that again. Well, let's do it. And I'm so jealous of the place that you're getting ready to go to in Colorado, because that's like one of my favorite places on the planet. And, and so when you're out there and there's no humidity and it's all cool and wonderful, please think of me in the humidity of, of Oklahoma at the time. But let's let's circle back because something you and I were talking about off the air was the distinctions of place and space. And so I, so I want to come back to that conversation where we where we talked about that last time, but as a launching place for this week too. Jen, explain to me why why those terms have been the areas that you've been thinking about and, and why they're important areas for educators and education leaders to be thinking about. Well, space, again, just as a review, it's it's abstract, right? You can't touch it. 
space is, um, you know, existing in the world. Now place is how you internalize that. So in a nutshell, your place in this world or in your house or in your job or in your school building, that's the, where the meaning is. So you might think just for an, an internal activity, where is my place? And there's always emotion and memory and experiences tied up in your place. And if it's okay, I'll, I'll tell our listeners about a question you asked. You said, well, are we trying to move from space to place? And I said, my answer or my schema for this is no. As humans, we always think there has to be movement, right? Or, or we're going towards something. And I think space and place exist together. And our our existence allows us to be in both. We can be in a space and we can be in a place. And really the distinctions don't matter so much as the reflection of what we do and how we lead the place our students are. So that's, um, you know, all well, of something our, else, go ahead. I'm sorry. No. And something else that you said earlier that really helped me when I think about those terms, Jen, is that space is where you find yourself, you know, all of us, and sometimes we can't control that. Um, but place is sometimes how you can control what happens within that space. And so that was a helpful thought for me, because when we think about school culture, when we think about instructional practice, when we think about how we are influencing the environments for learning for kids and teachers um, or communities, um, that helps me because I can think that, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I just need to change this I just need to go somewhere else or something radical here um, when really it may not be necessarily changing anything about the space you're in may, may not change at all, but you can do a lot within that space to create the, a place for learning. And so those are the thoughts that were helpful, helpful for me as you, as you were grappling with those terms and, and helping me understand them, because that's empowering to think about you know, the fact that as I look at a new school year or this coming year, and so many teachers have been stressed and, and education leaders about instructional practice and unfinished learning and those kinds of things too. But also what you've, what we talked about last week that I want to circle back around is, is also giving ourselves permission as educators to step back and reflect on what, what worked and what didn't, what's working, what's not. And what can I be reflecting on that might be a good change to my space so that it becomes a place of learning? And so um, there was a story that you had dropped into our notes that I didn't want to ignore about dress code. So would you mind jumping in there a little bit? Or, and please feel free to reflect on any of those other thoughts that I said as you do. Well, well yes, absolutely. I think an important word there is, is control. And, you know, we know we don't have a lot of control over a lot of things that happen in our worlds. But the, how we look at our place or how we make uh, uh, us ourselves fit into the place um, where we are our best, say, is somewhat in our control. Um, sometimes, especially if you use the lens of a student, sometimes they are not in control of the space that they are, are um, asked to fill up, you know, but they may be in control of how they exist mm -hmm. in that place. So, um, you know, really all of this is a social con construct, right? It is um, what we take to be true about the world we live in depends on the social relationships of which we're a part. So, sometimes we get stuck in those places and sometimes we need to break out of them. So my friend, Kevin, he, um, he did a very courageous thing. We talked about courage in our last episode, but he started thinking deeply about his school's dress code. Mm -hmm. 
And he had had some opportunities to reflect on what that code said about his school's belief system. When he looked at it as a 50-year-old white male, he thought this dress code is written to make girls change who they are. And it is meant to protect boys. Now, we can argue that until the sun goes down, or we can say, okay, what might Kevin have thought about? And what he was thinking is, you know, it's talking about skirts. It's talking about tank tops. It's talking about length of hair. It's talking about do not be a distraction to others. And my friend Kevin said, I, I think that that's so unfair to girls. And they're the ones that are always getting sent down to the office for dress code violations. It's always the girls. And what they've been told is don't distract the boys. And he said, now, wait a minute, aren't we in charge of our own distractions? Can't I say to my school community and parents, we are all in charge of what, what we are distracted by, aren't we? Or if not, we should be. And if we're not, can we teach students how to be in charge of their own distractions? And so he rewrote the whole dress code and he got a lot of pushback from some of the, um, what he called the old guard, people who were like, well, wait a minute, we need to talk about skirt length. And Kevin said, it's not about skirt length. It's about who, what we're comfortable wearing. Who are we, when are we our best selves? Who cares what what we're wearing just so we are able to express who we are. And so I think it's still an evolutionary process with him and his community, but I applaud him for thinking about it and having the clear eyes to say, wait a minute, this dress code was written literally 70 years ago, and we're still publishing it in a handbook every year, and we're making students and parents sign off on it, and it is based on archaic beliefs and principles. We've got to evolve, and I'm, I'm proud to call him my friend because he, he's brave enough and honest enough to see it for what it is. I guarantee right now as people are listening to this, they're kind of, they're stepping into categories of like, hmm, that sounds like, like something that would I would like to do, or they may be in the category of Hmm, you're pushing against a norm that I've been aggressively defending for a long time too. And 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 so, um, so first of all, I want to recognize that uh, that cultural norms are sometimes the most heated areas. It's so funny because uh, last episode we 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 focused a lot of it on instructional practice, which we're going to circle back around to that too. But sometimes these cultural norms can be pretty fiery conversations depending on where you live and and who's involved. So I want to tell you a story that's related to that. I have a friend who um, leads a school, a high school, and she had two stories she told me about dress code that were formative in the way that they changed their policies. And these involved two boys. One uh, was an African-American student who was wearing a do-rag. And when he was sent to the office, um, he asked some really challenging questions, respectfully asked her why is this a policy? Because the reason I wear this is it protects my, it's really hard for me to fix my hair. And when I do, this protects it for hours until I get it to the place I want it to be. And as she listened to him, she began to realize, wow, our policies really are written for the context of mostly white students who don't have to worry about how their hair forms when it's drying. Promised him that this is a conversation that although she wasn't able or had the authority to change current policy, it was a conversation she was willing to, to continue to have, which I thought was really wise for her to, to pocket that conversation and make a promise. And the second thing that happened the same semester was a boy that had been sent to the office for a hat. And as she pulled him in, um, he conveyed to her 
um, and this was a Caucasian student, that um, he was unwilling to take his hat off. And and she could tell it was not just like a defiant thing. There was it was really emotional about it. So she began to pry, um, and and ask, um, why why are you so adamant that you're not taking your hat off? And finally, he opened up, and explained that the night before, his father, um, who he did not have a good relationship with, had uh, given him a haircut that he didn't want, and had done a really horrible job, and his hair just looked just just hideous. And so she immediately, um, because she recognized the, the, the fear that he had in showing his hair, uh, asked him for permission to um, call a friend of hers that does hair. Can I call a friend and, re- and have her just redo your hair? And so that, and so that it worked out. He was able to get a, a new haircut that he liked. And, and, and so she was able to compassionately guide that situation to help that student. Um, but both of those conversations caused her to circle back with her her leadership, her guiding coalition, her leadership team in her school with the question, should we be reexamining our practices on hair and dress code? Because we're just like you said, we've been implementing policies that were written 50 years ago (laughs) and for a community that's changed over time. So what would be a more sensible approach to how we do that now? And interestingly, it led to a consensus among her faculty to change policy based on those concerns, which they presented to the school board, which the school board adapted. And so it became a consensus agreement, a cultural change that became a consensus that required some very, I I would call that, um, call that strong leadership, the ability for her to see the problem, but also recognize the solution was going to be more than me to reconstruct the direction we go and including students in those conversations too. Right. And that goes back to what we talked about last time. Leadership is a willingness to see the need for change and lead it. Whereas management is just hanging on, you know, and letting things be how they are. Now, you know, there's many, many voices these days and any kind of change is going to elicit, you know, a lot of resistance, especially from those who find comfort in the way things have always been. And we need not get defensive about that. We just need to know that it's normal, it's natural and foster those conversations so that everyone is heard and applause to your friend who, who recognized that both of those young men had something to say and she heard them and and thought about it and reflected upon it. So, you know, dress code is one of 8,000 other areas that we might talk about as our culture does change and as our, our values really do seem to um, spread out on a spectrum in every community. And so it's, it's a hard time to be an educational leader, but I think with the right skills and the, the willingness to evolve and, and look at potential for reconstruction, it's an exciting time too, to really, to really make a difference. So Jen, let me play the devil's advocate now. Can I do that? Cause I would Absolutely. love to, That's push, fun. to push yeah, so let me let me let me push you a little bit here because you know leader we, leaders are busy people, and so this idea that I need to constantly be reevaluating not need, what needs to change and what doesn't need to change seems like it seems like an unnecessary burden when you and I both know what good schools should look like, and um and sometimes change creates so much stress for people that especially going into this next year after a year of uncertainty. Why should we even be reconsidering things that might cause more stress for my teachers or my community? So I'm going to, I'm going to play that position for just a minute because 
isn't good good enough, Jen? Why, why should we why should we we, we be reexamining these areas when right now I think I'm just ready to go back and just do school again the way it used to be? Well, I agree with that too. I, I think that you've asked the essential question, why? And a lot of the challenges that you and I are throwing out, I think can start internally with the leaders that are listening. Just think about it, you know, not for a millisecond. Do I think any of your listeners should go and rewrite the dress code tonight and throw it in front of the school board? It's, it's change is slow rightfully so. It should be slow and thoughtful. And what people don't like about change is when it is forced or blasted upon them. And they don't like it when it's not transparent. They don't like it when they didn't see it coming. And by they, I mean, anyone who's going to be affected by change. So I think there's one of the best gifts we can give to our teachers and our students and our staff is to start school in a way that feels safe and slow and gentle and welcoming. And now is probably not the time to flip anything, but now is the time to think about it because we can think about what worked in the past year. We can think about what our what we are saying as a nation and as a global economy. What are we saying that we need and, and how were we changed by this seismic um, barrier that came up last March? So I find it exciting and I find it um, an opportunity to think about how school can look, but I don't find it um, any kind of pressure. I, I think a lot of the changes that I dream about will happen long after I'm retired and I've got a wired while till retirement. So I don't feel any need to rush school leaders rush, right? We have to make decisions fast. You know, the, the, um, restroom, the toilet is overflowing, call the custodian, get it mopped up, get, call the plumber, get this fixed. We, we quickly, quickly solve problems. And so we think that that needs to be our resting state, but I don't think hurry needs to be a resting state when we're talking about reconstructing our places and our spaces. Well, and thank you for that answer. And part of the reason I play the devil's advocate is because I know those are the thoughts that go through my mind whenever I'm stepping into a new school year. And I've told you these stories before, but I have one of my mentors was a friend uh, and I'll name him here because I know he won't mind. Rick Thomas was a superintendent I worked with who every year would start off meeting with our leadership team and challenging us. Where do you want to grow this year? And I, I, I always felt this sense of angst, like, you know, aren't we doing good enough? And, and, and yet, but, but just the, just his consistent habit of every year challenging us and reminding us that he wasn't satisfied with outgrowth, it always pushed me in a healthy direction. It always caused me to begin to think about those things that maybe I was tired of wanting to think about, but it was really helpful for someone who I trusted and who had my best interest in mind to push me that direction. And so, you know, principal managers, listeners, you can go back and listen to, if you're, if you're not familiar with conversations Jen and I have, have, have had in the past, we've talked a lot in the past about how to implement change and how to plan way ahead in advance and how to lead teams through change. So, so you may need, if you want that context, you can go back and listen to some of the other episodes that we have. But Jen, within this conversation, I wanted to push back that direction for a minute just to hear you say those reminders of why these are important conversations, because there are some areas that we need to reexamine. And there were several that you and I um, had listed last week that we didn't get to. And I wanted to have an opportunity for you to just walk us through some of those things that if you're if you're questioning in your own mind, well, what are some things that we might re- need to add to that list of instructional practices that might need reconsideration 
you can go listen to last week's episode for a very long list, but Jen, there's other areas too that I would love you to step into now. Right. And as a reminder, don't, don't listeners don't think you need to do any of these. You just think about them. You know, there's, there's no mandate. Nobody is saying to, you know, there's no change police saying you need to evolve. Now, with that said, if you still have a mimeograph machine that shoots out worksheets that are purple, maybe it's time to move, move along. Right. So we can't stay stuck. And a few areas where I think you might think about, nudging toward change might be, you know, an evaluation of the resources and the texts that you are using and, and not just yourself, but maybe with the team, look at those resources and see if there's any source of exclusion or bias in those texts. Um, another one where there's an area that is rich for reconstruction is how we grade And I know a lot of your listeners probably feel very strongly about this, but at at the leader level, we can help our teachers know they don't need to grade every single assignment every single time, and they don't need to create assignments for the exclusive purpose of having something to put into a grade book. Grading doesn't evaluate learning, right? So this is where leaders can help teachers move toward efficiency and quality rather than quantity and, and helping teachers see that students can seek their own feedback you know, posting answer keys, thinking about being thoughtful about how those keys are used, allowing retakes with proof of relearning. And, you know, none of those are new concepts, but choice is something that we can use as a guiding light there. If choice is what is helping students access their, their knowledge, that in itself is a reconstruction. So, you know, another way to say that is, is we should grade for the learning process, not for the learning product. And, um, you know, measuring student effort or mastery or an A through F system might not serve as well. We should also acknowledge technology. Technology does not just mean buying a Chromebook for every kid and saying, here you go, you know, have fun with that. It it needs to be more thoughtful about that and, and embracing that knowledge can be found online, but helping teachers capitalize on peers and modeling to help students enrich their understanding and and how they process information and become more critical absorbers of information. So again, that's shifting that teacher role from providing content to providing context and connections and applications. So I'll just do a few more. Well, I know that, you know, I never want to make somebody's eyes glaze over, but a few more that we could just touch on is the assessment cycle. Um, are, are we really using pre-assessments and formative assessments and student self-reflection as part of that assessment package? And, and do we value the data gained by teachers and by conferring with students as much as we value standardized norm assessment data? Um, you know, a, a lot of that can be wrapped up in project-based learning. You know, if we do instruction that provides meaning and purpose, and then we allow that to be part of our assessment package, there's a lot of power in, in change and evolution there. And, and I'm going to add a few more that you, that you had mentioned earlier too, that I think are just so powerful college and career readiness. You know, how do we work with students, especially when at the secondary level, you know, how are we working with them that engages them in those interests and ideas that, that really help them see the meaning in their learning. Um, the same thing with technical and workforce education, you know, and, and I'm, I'm really proud in my state, how we've begun to shift, especially at the high school level, shifting, helping schools connect with area industry for student mentorships and apprenticeships and employment opportunities. And then uh, 
last but not least, but global connections, you had mentioned this to me as well, you know, giving students audience and perspective outside those classrooms. And what an opportunity we have now to do that with, with all of the connections we have through Zooms and Google Meets with people across the world, but also connecting their learning to something far out beyond the, 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 the space um, that, that they're in as well. So those are such powerful things to think about, Jen. When, when, when you go through that list and Principal Matters listeners is You've heard Jen mention those things, and I've added a few here at the end as well. I, I just want to challenge you to think about, and of course, all of this will be in the show notes for this week's podcast, but think about how you might want to do a practice audit for your teachers or for your own instruction or in your own school and encourage your teams to do that. You know, here are the practices that we do, and here are some practices that are also healthy engagements that we could be considering. And where do we fall? You know, are we, are we, are there some areas that we might need to discard and what are some areas that we may need to adapt? And then let's explore and decide how we can, how we can bring those new practices to bear in our own, our own classrooms. And my closing thought would be to ask your listeners to listen to the pronouns you used. You said, we, 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 this does not need to live in I, this is a team effort and there's no way you can reconstruct or evolve something as thick and rich as teaching by yourself. And so it's about those conversations, you know, as, as a staff or as a team or as a department, or even, you know, standing next to the microwave in the teacher's lounge as somebody eats up their lean cuisine, you know, what could we do? Wouldn't it be cool if that's a great conversation opener, wouldn't it be cool if we could think differently about how we teach these historical figures in eighth grade or whatever, you know, wouldn't it be cool if is a great way to think about reconstructing and evolving. So, you know, it's it, again, nothing to be anxious about our, you know, there's, there's nothing to no mandates here that will and Jen are throwing out into the universe. We're just saying, think about it. It's fun. Well, and it, it, there's a couple of places I want to land before we wrap up Jen too, um, because in the notes that you and I were sharing too, you, you had placed a challenge in, in the notes that you and I shared about, about considering the space in your building. So talk about that for just a little bit too, in terms of what's, what, what are some things that people can be dreaming about in terms of space? Yeah, we, we could talk for a long time about that too. The, every building is different. Some of us are leading buildings that are very, very old. Some of us are leading newer buildings and they're the stories and the legacies about those buildings are as long as, as, as wide. And school leaders really can behoove, it behooves them to think about how it feels to walk in the door of their building and to ask students that question and to ask staff that question. And I always think you need to use your ears as well as your eyes. So are people saying and, and doing things that are, um, that indicate that they belong and they feel they feel like learners and they feel like they're seen and heard in, in the building. And I, I understand these are abstract com concepts. I really do. But I, I remember visiting a school once and I walked in early in the morning and none of the teachers were in the hall. Nobody was talking. It was silent as can be. And so, you know, I thought that this isn't, this isn't right. And I said to the principal, why is it so quiet? And he said, Oh, people just stay to themselves here. And I thought, Oh, how sad, how sad it is because we have, um, people here who are 
are self-professed learners and they want to connect with others, but they're staying in their rooms with their door closed. So we, we might want to think about our buildings and that, and how it sounds, how it feels, how it looks. And I don't have the answers. I'm not going to suggest that bulletin boards get a refresh. And I'm not going to suggest that you have a icebreaker before a staff meeting that's up to the leader, the individual leader, but it's worth thinking about how things look and sound. It is. And I want to tell two quick stories as we wrap up this week for application too. But I mentioned last episode that I had gone to visit a friend of mine who was the middle level principal of the year for Oklahoma. Her name is Laura Bullock at Idaville Middle School. And a couple of things I observed there that I thought were helpful. One was a classroom um, where students could access all kinds of robotics materials. And she told me the story of a, a student of hers that had really struggled with algebra until he had a teacher that used robotics parts and pieces to teach him applied math. And when he began to apply the math to the construction of robotics and in, in, in competitions, suddenly algebra made sense to him because it was no longer numbers. It was actually hands-on project-based learning, turning algebra into this piece that now works and I can use in this competition. And the second story was a space in her building that had been a family consumer science room. And through some budget cuts and change in student population, she had lost that teacher in that program. And it was heartbreaking because that was a classroom that had been developed over time. It was a, a, a great space for learning. And so as she stood there and tried to decide what to do with that space, um, she had an epiphany, which was, what if I turn this into a learning space for teachers? And so that whole area she transformed into a professional learning lab for teachers where they do their PD, where they, where they meet for meetings because it has a kitchen as well. They can do food together and learn at the same time. And it just became this really great space that she reconstructed um, for her teachers to have a space for their own learning. And so, you know, so principal matters listeners, as we wrap up this conversation this week, Jen, I'm so thankful that you brought us into this conversation about space and place because summer is such a great time to begin to reimagine and give yourself permission to dream about creating spaces for kids and teachers and your communities where better learning can happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been such fun. And, and we might have to revisit this in a few months too, if you get some feedback or some questions or ideas from some of our listeners, because I think that there's a lot to be unpacked here. Well, as we wrap up this week, I just want to remind listeners, if you want to connect with any of my resources or Jen's, you can find Jen's resources at her website at jenschwanke.com. You can also find my resources at williamdparker.com. Jen, I know that occasionally you're available on a limited basis. But for those of you that are looking for someone who could do PD with your leaders or your teachers, you could reach out to either one of us because uh, we both enjoyed the opportunity to connect and teach and keep learning together. But Jen, thank you so much for jumping in this for this week's conversation and Principal Matters listeners. Thanks for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Hope to connect soon. You can find other free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Dot com.